Welcome to Boots Off Log On, a podcast where we talk all things farm business. A show about the business of farming, bringing you insights and wisdom from the leaders in farm business, helping you minimise risk and maximise return on all your hard work. I'm David and I'll be your host for the show. G'day everybody and welcome again to the podcast and thank you for choosing to listen to us again today and welcome if you're new to us. We depart from our usual conversations with farm business leaders today to talk about something more important, something we hold close to our hearts. Today we have a special guest, Adam Gilchrist. Many of you might know Gilly as an internationally famous Australian cricketer, but today he joins us in his other long-term role as the dedicated patron of Ronald McDonald House Charities WA for over 23 years. Ronald McDonald House Charities WA offers 24-7, 365 days a year support to rural and regional families, providing a home away from home with dedicated staff and a range of educational and well-being services to help families stay together during resilient and challenging times, especially for families who suddenly find themselves with a critically ill child in hospital in an urban area. In this episode, Nat and I talked to Gilly to find out how he got involved with Ronald McDonald House Charities in WA in the first place and how it's been an important part of his and his family's life for 23 years and how he's working hard with Ronald McDonald House Charities to expand so that more families can access support every year. But it's not all serious business. We also have some fun with Adam and we explore topics like what do you talk about in the commentary box when there's not much happening on the field? And the intriguing story behind him holding his glove up to the camera after his remarkable 143 runs off 104 balls that helped Australia win the 2007 World Cup final. And one thing I've always wanted to know, the one bowler he hated facing and could never work out, plus much more. This episode promises to be a delightful blend of inspirational insight and a touch of cricketing charm. Gilly's a great talker. If you'd like to show your support and find out more about our fundraising efforts for Ronald McDonald House Charities WA, Agrimaster is raising funds to adopt a room so fewer regional and rural families have to miss out on this important service. And the links to this will be in the show notes. And if you're not based in WA, I encourage you to support your local Ronald McDonald House charity as what they do is truly remarkable. So now let's jump into the conversation with Gilly. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Um, today's a bit of a departure from our normal farm business podcasting. First of all, got a co-host today, Nat, um, <laughs> co-CEO as well and wife. I don't know which order you end up in, Nat, but... <laughs> <laughs> of importance. Whichever order you like, Dave. Um, and also, um, today we're not talking about farm business. We're talking about something a lot more important, which is um, caring for regional families, um, especially regional families who've got a child who's critically ill and has had to go to hospital and they're having to stay down um, in um, Perth in this case, or it could be any capital city. And really the important role that Ronald McDonald House play when those families do have a critical child in the city. Um, and our special guest today really doesn't need much of an introduction. He is a very long-term patron of Ronald McDonald House, I think 25 years or so. 23? 23, 23, 23, yeah. yeah. Um, 
But he's probably best known to all of you as um, a former Australian cricket captain, played 96 tests, Gilly, I think, for Australia and about 280-odd one-day internationals. Somewhere around there. Sound that he hasn't read his own (laughs) Wikipedia page, I reckon. Um, um, And considered by many, um, especially on the internet, um, as one of the greatest uh, wicketkeeper batsmen of all time. I'm pretty impressive. Bit, a bit more impressive. I don't even have a Wikipedia page, mate. No, <laughs> on the I, I like that. It depends which part of the internet you look at as to whether they refer to me as that and, and what comments I've made in my commentary oh, yeah. um, or on social media. But anyway, it's nice to nice to be recognised a little bit. <laughs> it is, mate. But, but more importantly, he's a father of four wonderful kids, yep. um, and he's actually best known as Mel's husband. Yeah, that's very important. That's probably very the first important. title that should have been read out. <laughs> people might might go, oh yeah, him, yeah, yeah, Gilly. But <laughs> yeah, anyway, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, Gilly. thank you, thank you for kind introduction. <laughs> Good to see you both. Thank you. And amazing to be here in your extraordinary uh, office or your the premises that you have your business running, but the the whole um, I guess network of staff that you have that have this beautiful space to work in to do what they do and to carry out everything that you offer as a business as a service and so happy and bright and friendly and welcoming um yeah so great to be here and modern technology too look at these i know it's nice microphones for a podcast (laughs) (laughs) who would have thought mate instead of using your um your, uh, your Apple Yeah, the yeah, AirPods, whatever they're called. That's about it that uh, I have at home. But no, great, great to be here and, and fantastic to be on the podcast to talk about, you know, um, something that's become very dear to all our hearts, mm. yeah. particularly in recent times for you guys and for a while longer for me in the charity. Yeah, definitely. So, Gilly, before we get into it, um, I just want to talk to you about a little story. So, um, obviously, around the world, you're known for a very famous cricketer, Australian mm-hmm. cricketer. Yeah. But um, for all of our customers out there, um, Adam's uh, third son, Archie, used to play footy with yep. Fergus, yep. our son. And one day, I'm not sure if you know this story, one day our boys were having a little bit of banter and um, Arch was telling Ferg that his dad was a great cricket player. Mm. And <laughs> Ferg being Ferg... <laughs> Just thought he was full of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, they, I'm assuming they went off to have a lot more banter and we didn't hear about it at this stage. Anyway, one day Dave was in the podiatry surgery and Ferg must have been looking up on the wall and was like having a little thinking moment and then turned to Dave and said, oh, my God, Dad. <laughs> Archie was correct. His dad is a great cricket player. Look, he's up there. <laughs> so then later that day or that night while we are at dinner and um, Dave was talking about the story again and Harry, like, said to um, Ferg, because Harry's a cricket tragic, he goes, oh, my God. Man, you have been looking at the wheat bix tin all these years <laughs> and looking at Gilly every single day. Um, clearly not paying attention. <laughs> it was a much fair that enough. Is, it was a much younger version of you. Yeah, mate. that's right. Yeah, quite a while ago. Oh, that's a nice story. <laughs> I hadn't heard that in its uh, entirety. There's a few things in there, and I do understand too that anyone, and certainly not everyone listening to this podcast or watching, knows who I am. I, I've always liked little intros because often people 
one bloke came up to me, tapped me on the shoulder the other day, and I thought, no, I don't really feel in the mood to talk to anyone at the moment. But I turned around, smiled, and he said, oh, are you Glenn McGrath? So <laughs> I don't assume everyone knows who I am or are cricket tragics. But um, Fergwood is right. Arch is full of shit all the time. He was, he's a bit like that, our third child. But, um, he's so sounds. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it must be his third child thing. Absolutely, there's no doubt. But, um, but yeah, no, they were, I mean, great fun days back playing in the, when our boys were in the footy team and yeah. trips yeah. to Melbourne um, yeah. and just uh, Wednesday trainings and Sunday morning playing. And, yeah. Yeah, it was a, a special time and all the various friendships that were formed and, some are closer than others, but you're always crossing over. Yeah. Given the communities that we live in, we're always sort of bumping definitely. into each other, and there's crossover between the schools that they moved on to. So, no, definitely. yeah, but that was um, a bit of rivalry too, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so we're here today to talk about Ronald McDonald House. Mm-hmm. So, how did you first become involved? And then become a patron for 23 years. So that's epic. That's a long time. Yeah, it is. It is a long time when you look at it, a number like that, and you think of that time mm. span, but it. You know, when I think back to my initial involvement, it doesn't feel like 23 mm. years as you know it as a, as a time span. But um, uh, I was asked by a chap that ran the – so there's Ronald McDonald House, mm-hmm. the, the charity, the, mm-hmm. the, the house is in Netherlands, and yep. back then it was in Subiaco yep. up near the um, Children's Hospital. That's yep. um, obviously when it, when it was up there. Yeah. Um, and there's the charity that runs that organisation. Then there's the ball. The annually, the biggest fundraising event of the year for mm-hmm. the house is the, the gala ball, which is in around November, typically every year. Yep. So there's a committee for that. And the, the chap that was chairman of that committee asked me on to, to come in to the, be patron of the house. Um, I think previously it was a, a sort of a, a position that the governor, whoever the governor was of mm-hmm. WA at the time, the, the wife of the governor, one of those um, positions that they yep. inherit come in and they're probably patron of about six different charities yeah. and different organisations and that, that's great. But I think I remember them saying, we want someone, obviously I was in right in the middle of my career, yeah. even start early stages of playing for Australia and they just wanted what they said was someone a bit younger and a bit more um, energetic and get mm-hmm. involved and a bit more hands-on. Yep. So 23 years later, there's probably they're about to tap me on the shoulder and say, we need someone a bit younger <laughs> and energetic. But um, So that was it. That was it. Uh, Justin Langer is, I think, patron of um, PCH or certainly the, one of the um, uh, wards in the old hospital. So he and I used to go into the hospital a fair bit and just visit walk around the floor, say good day mm-hmm. to kids and families, go to the house and just sit and chat and, and still do that now, still take yeah. Archie and uh, and the kids down there just to say good day. But a whole lot of different touch points, but, yeah, it's one of those ones where I get more out of it than I put into it. It's one of those feelings that you, you the more you put into it, the more you get yeah, back. Yeah, definitely. So I guess leading on from that, can you share with us any sort of memorable experiences or stories you know, in your time that have actually made a real impact on you yourself? I mean, early, as I say, we used to go in and see, just try to sit with the families and get to know them a little bit, particularly the youngsters. And obviously when we were playing, I go into the Ronald McDonald house now and it's the parents that recognise me, not the kids. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Back then it was the kids that were in hospital. Oh, wow, there's a current Australian cricketer yeah. 23 years ago. Yeah. Now it's the dads and the mums trying to introduce me to their children, saying, oh, this bloke used to play yeah. that. This used to play, used to play cricket. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, we really? used, used to, yeah, they can't <laughs> believe it. But, um, 
Yeah, there was um, a family young fellow by the name of Mark Warnham who was from down in the southwest, and mm-hmm. um, we got to know him and his family pretty well. And um, he was pretty crook, but he was. I mean, we were talking earlier before we started the podcast about Make mm-hmm. a Wish Foundation and, and and various other wonderful charitable organisations that just try to help ease the the situation for families. Mm-hmm. Um, Young Mark, his desire was to come away with the Australian team on an Ashes tour, which he didn't go on a full tour, but he got made it to in 2001. We toured England and we won the Ashes in Trent Bridge in Nottingham mm-hmm. in the fourth Test match, and uh, he was there for that. He was wow. only he was only 16 at the time, and That's pretty special. Um, he and his family were there, and um, he was he was in um, it was tough. He was in, in tough nick given the condition that he had and. Uh, unfortunately, we lost Mark a, a little time later, but but I'll never forget the smile on his mm. face sitting in the change room for the Australian cricket team, yeah. holding on to their little ashes urn. Oh, it would have been um, phenomenal for him. A, that is a lifetime. Yeah, so really special. Um, it, there's so many moments like that. There's They're not all, fortunately, they're not all really, really sad endings. Mm. They're not the ultimate sad ending. Yeah. A lot of them are, are happy stories where they, because of what the house has been able to provide, it's... Um, it's made life easier in the greatest time of adversity. Mm. And then, um, you know, a lot of the kids get better. Resilience yeah. shines through. And then where you see them walk out the door and back to their regional area, typically, yeah. um, where they've had the house as their home for anything from one night to two years. Yeah. Uh, so they're, they're the nice stories when we see them walk out the door and, and, and don't often come back. We don't want them to have to yeah. come back. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's the point, isn't it? And, and when we um, started the fundraiser we're doing and you're talking mm-hmm. about the um, gala, which we'll talk about later on, um, the and is it, that is random. So the, the, the families, it is really like a family suddenly ended up at the emergency department. Yeah. And a day later they're in their hospital mm. and, and they're 100 kilometres plus thousands of kilometres from home. Yeah. And they got might have little kids and they got... Everything going on, they got this critically ill, and that's where really Ronald McDonald House picks up, really, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've always said this, and you two can, through your lived experience, can understand and articulate this better than I. But I've always tried to think about, and as I say, typically and very early on, the house really was aligned only to support regional and rural mm-hmm. families, but. As you know, you're a great example of how that's... We've just tried to mould with the times a little Mm. bit, particularly as we've taken on bigger projects and bigger Mm. spaces within the hospital, not just the accommodation that we provide in Ronald McDonald House. But without getting too bogged in detail, um, I've tried to always think, what would it be like living up in, um, you know, anywhere around Mm. this vast state of ours, Mm. even just down in the southwest, but way up in Broome or right Mm. in the north, Kununurra, and you're just... From one consultation with a doctor, mm. your complete world is flipped upside down yeah. or, you know, um, uh, your child talking about feeling sick or there's a lump somewhere. And then before you know it, you're in Perth. Your life has totally been flipped upside down in, in a health sense and mm. safety of mm. your child sense. But then all the practicalities of it and yep. none the least, um, somewhere to stay. Yep. And that's what we... That's the first thing that we provide as a as a house, as a charity, is a roof over your head. Mm. And then after that, it just branches out. It just it really blossoms and flourishes as a charity. And I think 
probably the, the main thing and something that is so important to our philosophy as a charity is as strong as uh, the, the medication and the drugs and the treatment, to have a loved one right alongside mm. yeah. a sick child is as powerful a medicine as you can possibly have. Definitely. And so to provide that opportunity, then that combine that with the, the families that stay right within our house, our, our Nedlands house particularly, and even in, over in, um, in the children's hospital, the rooms there, mm. to have other families alongside you that are facing almost identical situations, to then start to share that story and share that journey and know that you, whilst you might feel like you're in the loneliest place in you, your mind could take you when you've got a child that's you know, seriously ill or injured or you know, the great unknown, you've got yeah. other people around that, and families come in almost a bit um, blinkered up and, and fearful, yeah. but slowly Definitely. over their term of staying there, through meal times in common food areas, Initially, families come and grab a meal and head back to their room and eat. Yeah. Mm. But slowly, and you, you've seen the beautiful dining mm. facility. The mm. house is like a boutique hotel, mm. really, isn't it? But yeah. it's. Um, but to have that environment where they can learn that there's be it other families, be it staff, be it volunteers who are the blue angels. They mm. are literally angels, the volunteers yeah. of this organisation, um, and other kids. The kids feed off each other. Yeah. and understand that they're not the only ones going through this and there's a pathway through if they want to feel comfortable sharing their story. So it really is a, you know, it's more than just a roof over their head and, as we say, it's the house that love builds. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, I think it's so important because, like, obviously, you know, like you say, when things change, they change very quickly and, you know, you lose your community that you normally rely on mm. so heavily, like your support network, and then you're moving into a different support network and then... Like you say, it takes time to foster those relationships. But yep. I can imagine some of those relationships become lifelong yeah. after that, yep. which in itself, even though what brought them together was sadness, but, you know, could have beautiful relationships out of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no doubt. Because we even find on the ward now when, you know, in our experience with Ferg, you know, you're on the ward and there's not many people who can sit there and sit around having a cup of tea and talk about, okay, so... You know, they talk about chemotherapy drugs as like mm. talking about the news, you know, like, yep. It's, yep. and it's just, and it does become a community, and you yep. know, and that could be any illness, absolutely. But yeah, yeah and it's uh, probably the most important lived experience, which I think to highlight from our personal experience is you as a person end up there, right? And you're, you're always there suddenly, mm. and you've got to, in, like in our case, we had a child going through surgery, and that's often the case, sudden surgery, and you're not thinking about anything else. Like you go, luckily we had older kids and so that was yep. fine, but if you had little kids. But someone from Ronald McDonald House just came up to us and I think we will just... Sarah. Be, Sarah, there you mm -hmm. go, Sarah came to us and I think just before Ferg went into surgery or something like that and said, oh, by the way, guys, we've got a room for you. A what? Yeah, we've got a room for you upstairs mm -hmm. and um, this has happened. You don't have to worry about meals or anything. Yeah. Um, Ferg's going to be on floor uh, four, you're going to be on five. Um, so one of you can sleep while the other one's in the next to the bed. And mm. she just took care of everything. Took us up there. This is your room. This is where your meals are. And then all your, the blue angels. And yeah. all the, but not just the blue angels, the, the volunteers who help out there. But all the other mums and dads were in there. Mm. Just welcomed us in and go, okay, yep. now this thing's good. This is not, you know, use this. This is when the food comes. It'll yeah. come a bit later. You know, yeah. they, they just welcome you in. Yeah. So it is because it's a lot, you know, 
it just takes one thing off your plate. Well, yeah. it takes a big thing off your yeah. plate, but, but it is quite special. Like. Well, I think, yeah, uh, and it's nice to hear that that was your experience and um, because that's what we hope to provide. But as you say, taking it one thing off or a thousand things off your plate, but it allows you to focus on the yeah. one thing you need to be yeah. focusing on, and that is is your child. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it's a very special place, and it's it's really well supported, I think, the fact that, as I say, before it really was specifically regional families that, yep. that were the, the focus, mm. but now to know that as per your situation or other similar situations where there's kids, even if they're metropolitan area, to have that family member mm. 24-7, like literally mm. a minute or two minutes yeah. away around yeah. the corner or in, sitting beside them or sleeping a, a floor below them, yeah. whatever it is, just that access. And um, I'm glad we've been able to branch branch out yeah. a bit more openly in that regard. And we hope to increase in size to, because we've got 30 odd families every month that we've got to say no to. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't got the capacity, but it's we've huge. got plans. We've got yeah. plans. And I, and I think that's a really good point, which is why we're getting involved um, through the company and through yourself and through um, a quorum to really try and raise more money because there is a lot of families for every family that does have this wonderful experience there's a family who misses out so it's really important that we can fund this as much as we can because yeah. we didn't think it'd be us nobody does yeah you know it's just nobody really goes through their life thinking that they're going to need a service like ronald mcdonald house yeah but so it's really special that we that we try and fund it as much as we can yeah and and, and i will make a point too if, if you don't mind the um we were the first charity that were funded, received funding from the Royalties for Regions program, yeah. which I believe's changed names now under the uh, yeah, recent times from a government. But yeah, anyway, but it's still effectively um, charity to receive funding that is metropolitan based mm-hmm. because they felt it is servicing obviously rural. regional rural yeah. regions. So that I think for the for the people out in regional WA, that's a, a point to. To be noted, yeah, it is uh, their, 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 it's almost like their house in the city. Yeah, really, if you, yeah, and I don't say that with any political slant, uh, whichever political yeah. side. It it came from, and what I've found too, having been twenty three years in this role, either side of government are very supportive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but but you know we, they don't just give out the government don't provide us a big check. That was when we did our capital raise to build the current house. Um, that we're in mm. and as I say we've got plans to go bigger and better and we, we certainly need you know we'll be requesting government funding but corporate support and you know just public support of these programs for whatever capacity you have we we don't have any expectations of ask or mm. um, looking for, for donations by way of a certain amount Mm-hmm. Anything we'll, yeah, we will take anything that is within reason, and there's so many good charities out there. We're aware of that that are so valuable in our community, but we and we appreciate any support that we were able to garner. Definitely. So, would you say that you know, like in your tenure, well, since you've been in the role, like the new Ronald McDonald House, that's been probably one of your biggest milestones that yeah, you guys definitely. have achieved. So we were, yeah, when I when I came into this role, as I say, we we're in Subi, we had uh, seven rooms. Uh, just single rooms, literally a room with a, a an ensuite shower, like mm-hmm. a shower and a toilet, tiny little, yep. little really small motel size, and it it had a double bed in there. So basically, um, you know, a child and a, a parent mm-hmm. could share that if they had to, but absolutely no capacity for 
the husband or the wife, the spouse to be yep. there and siblings, which yep. was no chance. Like it was so cramped yep. and crowded. But And that was, you know, convenient because it was over the road from the old hospital. We then uh, had three apartments mm-hmm. that were two-bedroom apartments that were there. But then, again, that was the capacity was so small. So we tripled in size. We went from sort of 17 rooms, if you like, so seven rooms and mm-hmm. if you count, count all the bedrooms in the other apartments – but uh, to the, our current facility, which is about 47 really nice rooms that are spacious and yep. can have fold-down beds from walls, really well designed to accommodate more of a family, uh, but already we need more space. So what do those future plans look like? Yeah, um, big, uh, but we've, we've hopefully got some space just next to the house where it is at mm-hmm. the moment on the sort of... Um, the master sort of plan of that that whole hospital's area, medical precinct down there now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll be talking with government and and doing all we can, and then start the um, looking around and seeing if we've got any further support out there. But but as far back to your point, Nat's spot on. It was it was a really fulfilling achievement to mm-hmm. to be able to do that to go yeah. from really basic. It's huge. Um, accommodation and service at the start but then not only in the house is there the rooms but the, it became a commercial level grade kitchen and we yep. had to then you know to, to have a house that big you've got to run it mm. so the expenditure on just maintaining it tripled yeah um and you know we have to have a chef in there every day because yep. it's commercial grade we still have make a meal or home for dinner we call it where Families, corporates can come in and, and help cook dinner for the house yep. every night. It, was, it's, it used to be a bit more intimate in the smaller place, but it's yep. still happening now. Uh, but also I think a landmark thing is our learning centre on, on level three at the house. There's basically it's a, like a, a big, massive classroom, school mm-hmm. school classroom divvied up into various you know, little kindergarten age and then maybe primary school age and then yep. some high school, secondary school age with a, a full-time teacher in there and the ability one of the biggest things we were learning over time not just from the the children who the patients the kids mm-hmm. that were ill but their siblings who were being dragged from country areas yep. down here spending so much time in hospitals in Ronald McDonald house if they were there long term we'd get them placed into the local primary school but it's so disjointed and disrupted one of the biggest issues we had with kids going back to their hometown and mm. getting back into their school system and friendship groups was that they felt dumb. Yeah. They mm. missed so much school. And I, and I know having spoken with you guys mm. and hearing Ferg complain that teachers weren't saying that you should do this subject mm. or that subject or that pathway at the moment, and yeah. it'll always be there on offer, but that feeling of I'm missed out. Yeah. Of. So to have this uh, teaching learning program now um, – it is magical. It is so good to know that we can provide that to the children who are the patients and their siblings whilst they are disrupted in their learning. Has and they're been so adaptable magic. too. Yeah. Like all the teachers are phenomenal. I love how they, you know, they can very quickly recognise whether, it, you know, they might be doing something quite 
normal and yeah. they very quickly recognise that the child can actually, you know, go the upper level. It's a bit more advanced than yeah. that. Yeah, and they just adapt on the run. They're, yeah. yeah, they're amazing. Yeah. And they, they've got so much energy and personality. Oh, they love what they do, don't yeah. they? Yeah. It's and a special doing... talent in itself, isn't totally. it? Totally. Like, totally. you know how to teach littlies and... Yeah, from all different teams. demographics and different age groups and different backgrounds. And everyone's and... come from a different school. Yep. And yep. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. they're versatile. But so, they love it. Yeah. So, mate, you're actually a rural boy yourself. So you grew mm. up in rural New South Wales. I mean, yep. you know, um, you're, you're not really from WA. We are. No. We, we, call you, <laughs> we call you an honorary West Australian, right? 28, 29 years now. 29 yeah, years. Yeah, so well over half my life. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah all right. All right so, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. So now tell us, you grew up in a country town on the coast, was it, somewhere? Yeah, well, we skipped around. So I'm from a family of teachers. Mum and Dad were both teachers and then Dad went into sort of administrative side of teaching yep. or the education department, uh, became a sort of regional inspector of schools oh, yeah. and then ended up director of education on the north coast. I was born in Bellingen up in the sort of northern tablelands, then went to down south of New South Wales, Dunee, Deneliquin, which is just north of the Victorian border. Yeah. Um, good merino sheep yeah, country. Yeah, um, good sheep country. And then... We that was my primary school years down there, and then my high school years were up in the far north coast in Lismore, um, just sort of in from Byron Bay, Ballina, and that's where mum and dad still are. So yeah, we were, I grew up completely. My whole childhood was out in the country, as we yeah. called it, and yeah. loved it. Didn't want for anything. Just loved everything about the outdoors life, and had mates, particularly down in Denny, yeah. uh, that had farms, wheat and sheep farms that we used to just go out there and just uh, run amok and. What a life! What an upbringing! It was yeah, brilliant, definitely. and right. every sporting facility you could hope for. And let's think about country towns. The sporting facilities yeah. are always pretty incredible. Aren't yep. they? Yeah, yeah. So, and love going back there. Um, and what are your teammates? Oh, Glenn wasn't too far away. Where was he? Was a farm boy as well. Glenn's he? proper. He was a proper country boy from <laughs> Narromine. He was uh, <laughs> out a bit further in from Dubbo, but um, yeah, he was proper farming stock. <laughs> he is. Yeah. yeah. The um, so that you know you're not just Ronald McDonald, but you're involved in philanthropy. You, like you've got, um, I think you do something with in India with uh, World Vision. World Vision. Yeah. You do so you and you have a well. There's a whole list of stuff that you do in charity. So this this willingness to give back it, it started not even post career. It was right like mid career. Mm. Right is. Is there something in your country roots or something in your upbringing that's really, you know, is this part of your core value set that's made you want to do this? Because you, I know you'd come here and talk about it, but I know I've called you up and you go, I've just been down at the house all day. I've just, you're mm. actually actively involved. You're not just really just talking about it. So, yeah, try to, um, I think it starts, starts at home. The foundations of, starts from your parents and uh, that understanding. Dad and mum were always involved in various, I, I don't remember charities charitable organizations growing up being so present and mm. um so well structured mm. and uh, back in it whether i was not paying attention because i was young or I, I do think it's it's become a much more structured environment and and i think more well managed there, there was a lot yeah. of charities that seemed to just be crossing over each other yeah, and definitely. so yeah. i think and i don't want to say business-like or corporatized, but there's a certain element of professionalism, professionalism and, and business now, by way of managing it, mm. came into charity groups. Um, I think it's it's really settled down now. There was probably a rush where it went a bit too far, but now it's settled down. I think everyone 
as having a broader understanding of specific areas they the charity focuses on area of need area of support and and people can get an understanding and and i understand that there is charity fatigue out there everyone's you know everyone's got their own financial situation Mm. to Mm. be conscious of and uh before you can start then giving money away so um people want to know if they are going to support a charity they need to see and understand what effect it's going to have i think yeah they can actually have that right Yeah. yeah so um, but mum and dad were always involved in, I think they've always been very generous people and I don't, not so much financially, but just giving of time, giving of mm. support mm. and emotion um, mm. and care. So that probably is where it started. But um, try, you try to, you get a lot of requests. Yeah, um, I, I understand you get a lot that. of requests. Yeah, I, I understand that profile people can help enhance situations or draw attention to certain things and um but i've i have always tried to be a little bit um controlled with how much how prominent you are in any particular charity and to the point where it's almost um to to not spread it too thin and mm. then yeah and that's why i've tried to focus more on ronald mcdonald house mm-hmm. than than other charities i'll go i'll go and support other charity events and mm-hmm. and so on but as far as being patron or the spokesperson or ambassador for yeah you don't want to um you know be patronizing to the public going mm. oh this one this week's the best one and then next week yeah. chuck some money in that one <laughs> what yeah. like i think everyone needs to find out something that that they really love and can attach to mm. and this has been you know, as I, I say, nearly half my life. So yeah. it's um, certainly no, I don't see it as a as a, a role to play. It just is part of our life, mm. not just mine, but our whole family's, yeah. Does it, so it, just quickly on your family, I don't want you to um, talk too much about your family, but you being involved and obviously the boys and Annie going down and, and yep. Mel getting involved, Does do you see that really having an impact on them? So they're like, well, not, they're all older or teens yeah. now and so... How yeah, the been, impact on them growing yeah, up? Well, they don't know life without Ronald McDonald House in it yeah. because Harry, our eldest, is 22. So, mm. yeah, a, a year before he was born uh, is when I first became patron. So they've been coming to the house forever. Um, there was one ball, uh, charity, the, the big black tie ball, where um, I was in India, I was flying home and I was in Singapore to fly in and I was meant to land at two in the afternoon and then the ball was that night and then the flight got delayed out of Singapore. So I was basically stuck in Singapore for the night. I wasn't going to make the ball. So I had to quickly type up a speech. So I just do a little welcome speech at the start. That's just a welcome to everyone. Have a great night. Don't go on too long, hopefully. But anyway, I had to got Harry to do it, fill in for me at, (laughs) at the age of 15. So there he was up in front of a thousand people in a black tie um, and to the, he did well enough to the point that, you know, my phone that night in Singapore was people that are there showing videos of it, messaging, oh, and it was pretty much a don't come back. Like, <laughs> the young fella's got you covered. So, oh, so that to know that he could step up then. I mean, Mel's always stepping in. If I had been travelling and doing things, and um, Archie now comes down and sort of just goes in at meal time in the house and. Things like um, takes card tricks down, does card. He, he tries to get the kids away from their parents oh, yeah. to allow the parents to sit and have some dinner. I love that Archie still does his card tricks. Yeah, he's a, he's a bit of a sh- <laughs> shonkster. Archie's his sleight of hand's pretty good, but um, <laughs> yeah. So or he'll take him out in the playground and kick a ball oh, around good. with him and stuff. So 
Um, so in answer to your question, it's we all hope as parents, don't we, to pass mm. on values or um, you know things that are meaningful to our mm. kids, and and hopefully this is something that I, I think it has been really beneficial, and they're aware of it and and aware of you know how much they get back from yeah. it as well. Yeah, definitely that feeling. So, mate, we can't um, have you here without um, giving, talking a little bit about cricket, mate. <laughs> but, um, we can if you want. You can, we can do we the whole have, thing we without cricket. We can do no, a no, whole podcast oh, without no, talking about without cricket. Yeah. No cricket. All right, we're going to have a <laughs> no, couple of good. cricket questions, mate. Um, actually, you know, actually, I think I've got an answer already today, but before I get into <laughs> a cricket question, commentary, mate. You know, whenever you guys... Um, commentary and commentary can be quick like a one day or it can go yep. for like five days yep. and sometimes there's nothing happening yeah right how do you guys not run out of stuff to say we do we definitely do <laughs> unfortunately that's when we used to um i don't want to be too down about that that's when we used to just ask warnie a question and he talked for 20 minutes because <laughs> he could talk and talk and talk but we haven't got him with us anymore sadly but um uh yeah, it's it is a real challenge when the game's moving slowly. Um, that's when you actually earn earn your commentary dollars, I reckon. Yeah. Because it's easy when the action's there, and when when there's yeah, if you think about it from a footy point of view, if you're watching yeah. it, like the AFL Grand Final we've just seen was unbelievable, yeah. like right down to the last minute. And in fact, the whole thing when there's action like that. I don't think anyone's listening to the commentary anyway. You're all going, oh, and screaming and yelling yeah, and yeah. like you're just watching the ball. But when it's slow, that that's what the, the guys that have been before me say, that's when you earn your money. And it's not just filling it with words. It's working out, trying to find something that say that the viewer will want to hear or not just, you know, rabbling on and on and on about something. So, yeah, like you're going to have like a massive book of stats to go back on. Well, there. stats, you can, we've got good statisticians around. They're sitting right beside us, so that we got a great guy there that he'll hear us talking about something, and next minute you tap on the shoulder and he's handed you a bit of paper with all these stats around the topic that we were talking about, okay. uh, and then that then allows the story to be told with greater detail. So it's a good team effort. It is a buzz as a team, actually. Um, probably reminds me as much as anything as when I was playing cricket. Because a lot of the time um, you're in the box with. Ex-teammates yep. or people who you crossed over, or with. opponents, or opponents, yeah. Yeah, even opponents, which is really good fun, um, especially ones that you're especially for the banter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always <laughs> some good banter going on back and forward, but uh, but I think I think commentary this in this day and age compared to when we were growing up and that iconic era of Richie Benno and Tony mm. Gregg and Bill, they had good banter, but it, it was a bit more formal. It was yeah. a bit more, you know, really prim and proper and you know, there wasn't a lot of light-hearted joking around. A few little digs here and there, yeah. but now it's a bit more relaxed. And I think, uh, I think the audience tend to like that a little bit more. Twenty twenty cricket, without you know boring everyone listening on cricket detail, that lends itself to a bit more fun, yeah, yeah. Mm. light-hearted banter. Yeah. Are you Whereas, expected to be a bit more formal when you're doing tests? I don't... A little, a little bit. The 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 producers, the the, the top dogs, all sort of say, okay you know just let the cricket talk or or you know let it breathe as in us yeah and let the cricket talk and 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 i like that i mm. think and i'm guilty of it i think we all get caught up just talking too much mm. particularly test cricket it's a game if if people are watching test cricket 
I think they're there just to watch and relax and enjoy it. They don't need something because it's five days. You don't need five days of someone mm. talking and screaming at you. Mm. you know, when I was on the farm, and you would, I don't know if you remember this growing up as a kid in the country, when I was on the farm, Test cricket was my background noise. Yeah. You know that? Just that, you know, it was on the ute. You just yep. have it on the radio, yep. let the door open. Absolutely. And it was just like that noise. You know, yeah. this, this, it was like the soundtrack in, yeah. in the in the, in the, the shed. sound of summer, isn't it? It yeah. is the sound of summer, isn't it? But it's yeah. not one thing. It's just this constant. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, uh, for sure. And, and yeah, whether it, whether it's on the radio, in the you know car out in the farmyard or in the backyard yeah. or just at the TV on, I think a lot of people... Although it doesn't draw the numbers, or the it's still reasonable viewership numbers on on ratings, but um, there's a passive love of Test cricket. You don't have to be sitting in front of it watching it. But exactly to your point, Dave, it's just on in the background. You walk past a lounge room, you might stop and watch ten minutes if it's interesting. Yeah. Or you're out in the garage or in the kitchen or whatever, and you hear something happen, you run out and watch yeah. it, and then you go back to what you're doing. But mm. I don't think there's too many people in this day, day and age that have time to sit down and watch oh, I, all day every day my grandfather was a uh, tragic and um he used to take me to the wacker and we used yeah. to sit there just behind the wickets and he was one of those people who didn't want to go to the toilet yeah, and didn't want to miss the ball. <laughs> <laughs> and he'd do that for five days yeah yeah that's absolutely time hardcore. around don't you for lunch break <laughs> yeah yeah no i don't know many people would sit there like that anymore like, not many there's not, a few 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 older folk i think yeah and yeah. that was a it's a different era so you grew up playing cricket, so you moved around a lot. So yep. was cricket a constant through your life right yeah. up until right through? All, all sports. As I said, being out in the... Rugby? You're a rugby boy being used played to one season of rugby league and uh, worked out it was much more... I thought it was more skillful running away from your opponent than running straight <laughs> up at him. So that's why I liked... Uh, so my winter sports were footy, Aussie rules, which yeah. down in that Southern Riverina near yeah. Victoria was all, all footy. Yeah. Um, and soccer. And then in summer it was cricket and tennis. Yeah. But happy to try your hand at anything really. But mm. as I say, we were, we were always just running around doing something. Mm. So what was Plan B, mate? You end up being this famous cricket. <laughs> but you, you know, what was going to be Plan B if you didn't become a famous cricket? Well, I was going to be a PE teacher. Oh, so really? I came from, as I said, a family <laughs> of teachers. So education was always, you know, in our life, and and you know we knew the importance of education. And yeah. That was reinforced from mum and dad, uh, and then. Two older siblings were teachers, and I was going to follow in their footsteps and so combine my love of sport with teaching, so PE mm. teaching. So yeah. at what point in your career did you think, well, maybe I might be able to make a living out of this, you know, and I'm not going to have to go and become a PE teacher? Yeah, I, well, I enrolled in uni uh, and then deferred because I received a scholarship to the Australian Institute of Sport oh, Cricket okay. Academy. Um, so that was probably that fork in the road moment where... And it wasn't like, it didn't mean the educational component or opportunity was at a dead end, but I knew if I just parked it for the moment and go and really focus on my cricket and give it my best shot. So that was a year scholarship where you live, breathe, eat, sleep cricket. Okay. Um, magic. Rod Marsh was the head coach. He was my childhood hero. So all the stars aligned yeah. there beautifully. And um, Did you and, end up with many young guys who were in the academy with you that year, end up in the team with you when you end up? playing for Australia yeah yeah there was there'd be three or four from our that's that, that intake cohort? yeah went, went on and played test cricket 
Well, there you go. Together. Yeah. So that was really nice. It's a bit surreal um, when you're hanging around there. How old are you in teenagers? Yeah. Late, late teens? Yeah, that was 17, 18. Yeah. Um, I mean, I first played against Damien Martin when we were 15. Oh, uh, yeah. And then we played a lot. He was captain. I was vice captain of an Australian under-17 squad. And and then we, yeah, played a lot of... And Justin Langer around that stage. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that... that it's amazing to, to do any of it, but to do it with friends that you meet that young is... Yeah. Um, I was just yeah, listening to a story, completely different, but um, some stories of the young F1 drivers. Right? Mm. And you sit there and you've got yeah. like the, the 20 best Formula 1 drivers in the world, right? Yeah. And you sit there and you listen to them chat, and these guys have been racing go-karts <laughs> since they were 10 against Yeah, each other. That's, that's funny, isn't it? Right? Yeah. And so they've sort of grown up together. Yep. Yeah, that's where proper rivalries are for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, you know, like they, you know, they might be racing out there in F one as what twenty something year olds. Yeah, but they remember when Lewis ran they over my everything. car when I was thirteen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, he's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely, mate. You've played against some of the the greats in cricket, right? You've played mm-hmm. with and against, right? I want to ask two things, right? Who was your scariest guy to face? Like, who did you... I remember listening to Terry Alderman now where he was talking, talking with Richie Benno years ago at the Waka, yeah. and he was terrified, I think, of Curly Ambrose. Yeah. Right? And I go, so who did you face? And you just had to go, and it literally scared you. <laughs> There's two, two things that scare you as a batter. Um, it's the fear of pace and, and being, like, the intimidation of pace and... and the velocity of the ball so obviously there's a physical aspect to it of it hitting you and hurting you but you're so well protected in these day and age but um so show Akhtar from pakistan uh he played through through my period of time so late 90s through to you know 2008 9 10 mm-hmm. i think he finished 2008 maybe um he bowled fast he was pretty pretty nasty but the other thing that I found even more frightening was the intimidation of skill and deception and facing the spin bowlers. And there was a mm. guy from Sri Lanka called Muralitharan. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just couldn't pick what he was bowling. So it felt like, you know, you're not fearful of getting hurt, but you're fearful of every ball getting out and not just getting out, but made look like a fool. So and is that what it was? I mean, when you're watching on telly, you go, wow, that's clever. But mm. I'm sure he's, he knows what's going on. I'll be sitting there going, oh, I'm sure Gilly knows what's going on. <laughs> no, not with him. <laughs> no, he, uh, he was horrible to face because I just could, didn't know which way the ball was going to spin. So. You, you caught a lot of what you know, I don't know how many catches you and Warnie bat. How many caught and bowls did you do Warnie? Can you remember? Oh, yeah, I, I think, yeah, no, I don't know, probably. I'd, off one bowler, off Warnie, maybe 50 or 60. But, but I could pick Warnie. I, I knew how, what could he Could you spin. play him? Oh, he knocked me over. He got me in a Sheffield Shield game. I let the ball go. Because, I mean, you're sitting there, you know, as that combo. Yeah. You know, because you had to be able to pick him because you had to catch the damn thing. Yeah. Big difference between picking him and then playing him as well. But So the easier job rather than facing him as a batter was to wicket keep to him. Not not saying that was a dead easy job, but we built up a really strong relationship, partnership, um, I used to hound him all the time to bowl more and more at training, which he wasn't the heaviest trainer, Warnie, but, um, but he always would. He accommodate because he knew that that partnership was pretty important mm. um, just to get familiar with him and mm. have an understanding of what he was bowling and what it looked like. So 
that's what I saw my job as and I loved it. It was a highlight of my career to where you keep the shame warm. And the other thing, I remember talking about you this when the kids were playing footy once, concentration, and I was really fascinated. I was asking you about concentration. Mm. So whether you're having to stand out there for two days and, you know, or like um, like um, you're going to get a question in a minute when you do, um, it was 149 runs off 104 balls. Mm. I mean, how do you maintain concentration in that? Because that's intense, yeah? Whether it's standing there for two days or, or hitting that many balls off yeah. that many you know, runs off that many balls. So how have you maintained that mental clarity or pressure? I don't know. You know. Yeah, I, I think pre- pressure and nerves is the other one people ask about. Did you get nervous? Or how do you contain your nerves? And and I think in answer to all that, that, that uh, an easier way to concentrate or to not be so nervous or to not feel like there's pressure on you was to do be as well prepared as you possibly can. Mm. So if I walked onto the field knowing I'd done the catching practice, done the batting practice, slept enough, eaten the right food, mm. done my fitness work, my recovery from the training, if I could tick all those boxes and say yes, it's amazing how less nervous I was mm. and how less pressure I felt from everyone else because it, even though no one else knows, I know that yep. I was ready to go. And then that also allowed me to know that I could go out there and just just almost more enjoy it. Like yep. The training was... I loved cricket. I loved training. I never got bored of the skill work and all that. But but that was the hard yards on the training track. And then you enjoy the event. Yeah. Mm. So then, as far as concentrating, I or no one is perfect. I I can never remember dropping a catch where I could stand up and go, "Was I concentrating before that?" And I could say yes. It's amazing how your mind could just switch off and drift off. Mm. So you would just, I mean, that chatter behind the stumps. You just chatting to Warney, chatting to Ricky Ponding, looking around the grandstands, you know, and and I might have been not concentrating for two hours, genuinely concentrating, um, and not being exposed. But then eventually, you can hear the feet running. You, and you you, just... Something's going to catch you out <laughs> if you're not concentrating. Yeah. Um, so that's the main thing. Just and, and because they're long days, you, we, we literally work on things like switching on, switching off. So if you're batting, the bowler runs in, you bowl. And I'm sure there's aspects of everyday life, mm. of professional life mm. that people could use or understand a, a similar type of scenario. But, but in, in cricketing terms, a bowler runs in, so you're concentrating as they run in. You play the ball. Once you've stopped running or, or the ball, what we say, is dead and the bowl's then walking back, you switch off. You don't need to be concentrating that time. So it's, it's then c- utilising less mental energy, but more importantly, using it at more important times. So, so if you bat all day, six hours, you should really only be concentrating for about nine minutes. Yeah. By the time you break down every little segmented mm. run-up of the bowler and face that ball and then do it, so, yeah, it's getting a bit technical, but, that's, but that's it's switching on, itself, on switching it? off, yeah. Definitely. And those that at any sport, at any high level, anything, those mm. that can, can control those little mind games and, mm. and have, they're the ones that succeed yeah. more because there's some, in sport, there's a lot of identically talented skill-wise mm. sportsmen and women, but it's just between the ears that then... And, and when you're in between the years, that's those little things that's, that's that, that discipline or that control, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. 
and honesty like here I am saying about have you have I caught enough balls am I you know training physically enough am mm, I yeah. keeping my weight down or looking out for what I'm eating am I eating there's only one person that knows mm. <laughs> you can lie to your trainer all day you, you can lie to everyone <laughs> not the person in the even mirror even yourself <laughs> well if you lie to yourself you're going to have someone in the mirror that's yeah. going to go hey. so that, that's just honesty yeah. about your performance and your preparation yeah definitely Malaka, who's one of our great team members, he's yeah. got a question for you, mate. Now, he, I don't think I don't know if it's him. He's a young guy. I don't think he's even born there. I don't know. 2007 World Cup. Mate. Yeah. He'll be chuffed that you said that. You, you, yes, <laughs> he was born there. Was he? He's <laughs> <laughs> a young guy, and um, obviously, you, that was a, with a quote that I think was that 149 runs of 104 balls mm. to to beat Sri Lanka in the final. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. He said it's etched in his memory, and he'll never. Never really forget that day, even though um, it probably broke his and his dad's heart, right? Yeah, and, and the whole yeah. country, really. Yeah. You broke a country's heart that day, mate. But he wants to know in particular about the squash ball, mate. <laughs> uh, you got to talk about He wants to know about the squash ball oh. trick. And, and about your coach. I think it was your coach. Yes? Yeah, yeah. For, again, for the uninitiated in this topic, it, it's <laughs> not that sexy or appealing. It's technical talk, but it, I... Was using, I had a batting coach here in Perth, a bloke called Bob Millman, who I would, you know, we'd be off touring around the world, whatever, and, and we'd train and we'd had, you know, team coaches, but then you'd come back and I'd go and see Bob, almost like putting a car in for a grease and oil change. Yeah. I'd go and have a hit with him on the nets and he'd tighten up my technique mm. and get this working and that working where bad habits had crept in while I was away. And one of the techniques at training was he'd put a, get me to put a squash ball, so a, 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 you know, it can literally squash mm. in and out, into my bottom hand batting glove. And it's basically a technical thing to take less, take fingers, a couple of fingers off the batting handle of my bottom hand. Because if I gripped that bottom hand too tightly, it affected the whole shape and technique of my shot. So... We do it in training all the time. Never tell anyone about it, and it used to feel awkward. But I'd come out hitting the ball really nicely, and okay. me- and mentally, I think I go, "Oh, I'm, I'm going well." And then I've been doing that probably for ten years. And then we were about to go to this World Cup in two thousand and seven, and Bob said, um, "He said you should use that in the games over there because the conditions are going to require this certain type of technique and." And I went, oh, geez, that doesn't sound like much fun. Because it's a bit like a pebble in your shoe. Yeah. <laughs> you can still walk and run and run and function, but it's annoying. Yeah. That's what it felt like in my glove. But I went and took his advice and I used it through the whole tournament. And I had a steady sort of tournament. And I wasn't sure if I was going to use it in the final because I thought, hey, I'm final. I can't be filmed with anything here. But I showed faith in Bob and used it. And, um, and his last words to me before I left were, when you get 100 in the final proved to me you got the squash ball in your glove oh is that why you held it up <laughs> so I get this hundred I haven't told anyone all tournament that I've got this and I get a hundred and run down and put my palm of the hand out in front of the TV camera and carry it on like a pork chop but I was like there Bobby that's for you so he was on his lounge back here satisfied that his work was done so um, yeah the Sri Lankans were filthy at me they told me it was a performance enhancing device so, but um, I said well you try it out it's pretty uncomfortable mate if you're selling squash balls that's yeah, sure have marketed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, good, mate. Now, um, well, just to finish off, so I wanted to go through um, a few things about Ronald McDonald House, mate. So yep. 
We're doing a couple of things yeah. um, at the moment. So the first one is we're Agrimaster, the company, we're running a fundraiser at the moment to try and raise at least $22,000. And this is the one of the rooms we're talking about. So this, what we'd do is it would fund a, a room on the fifth floor of um, the Perth Children's Hospital mm-hmm. um, for at least two years. Um, and this means a family could stay there. Uh, well, they don't stay there full time, but it would get a whole year of accommodation for a family um, who needs it in the hospital. Um, and that means, like we've just talked about, 24 hours, 7, 24-7 yep. staff and home-cooked meals and all yep. those things. So it just takes them off the other thing. Um, so the links will be in the show notes of this podcast to, to that fundraiser. But we're also doing another thing. Gilly, you're a um, guest speaker at a, fun, uh, a fundraiser we're doing with Corum. Yes. Um, yep. In oh, a couple of weeks, I yeah. think. 27th of October. 27th of October. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Numbers girl Nat. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and this cocktail party is the same thing. The funds will be raiding directly yeah. going to Ronald McDonald House. So both of them are going to Ronald McDonald House. So we're really asking the ag community to to get around this, um, mm. whether they can attend the fundraiser where, you're att- where you'll be speaking or yep. just donate through the direct donation um, with a link on this. Um, yep. The link's in the show notes. That'll be really, um, really, really special. Oh, it will be, yeah. I mean, God, we are, as a charity, so appreciative of, um, of what, what you guys are doing through the business uh, and, and your client base and customer base has been amazing. I know that... Um, I won't do the big reveal, but I know the fundraising seems to be well on track, doesn't it, for, for yeah, what definitely. you guys are looking to achieve, which is just a testament to the energy and effort that you've put in uh, and to your to your business and, and the people out there in the regions that are aware of this and want to try and make a difference. And uh, and the event on the 27th, again, um, yeah, mates of ours, you know, Dave Ayres and, and Mart, and, and Dave's got that sort of little business community that yeah the quorum group yeah, he yeah. says oh you know each year we try to raise some money for a charity he said oh we might go to Ronald McDonald House this year <laughs> hey? and it's amazing how it's all tied in yeah. and everything so that's absolutely fantastic we're um, yeah it, as I said there's a whole lot of different uh, initiatives that we have mm. as a house to, to raise money um, and we try to make them really again like most charities make them engaging experiences mm. There's one that's, um, you know, again, all the details are on, on the website but and, and links can be found, but Up All Night, which... Yeah, you a, did that. Yeah, it's it's a, it's fascinating um, where it's really, we're saying, try and experience it, and you guys know this feeling better than I, but, you know, with a, if, if you've got sick children, even if, you're, even if they're not seriously ill or terminally yeah. ill, you know, just sick mm. kids at home. Keep you up all night. Yeah, don't they? they really do. So it's a walk around Perth, foreshore, down to Frio and back, where you leave the bell tower at sort of eight pm, and you get there at eight am the next day, <laughs> unless you can do it quicker. Uh, so it's not a marathon. It's not a running event to go and see how fast you do. It's just a walk, and it's amazing. Yeah, I love it. But literally, you're up all night, and um, you know, getting people to sponsor you for that and so yeah. on. But the fundraising for that has been huge. So that's one example of. Another initiative that the house has pulled off, and our volunteer network come in. Little yeah, angels right. turn up and help run it all, and um, <laughs> so we're just so appreciative of the support that we get and what we can do to to provide the support to those families. Yeah, definitely. And if you go to a kitchen, uh, when you're on one of the wards in the hospital, and you go to the kitchen at six o'clock <laughs> in the morning, you can see all the mums and dads with massive oh, yeah. big bags under eyes. I think. I think we need a coffee sponsor. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's right. <laughs> uh, you know, that's the funny thing. I think, you know, when I went in there, I used to use one pod 
Yeah. Now I use three pots to get going in the morning. <laughs> Need the energy boost, understandably too. And then you're off and running for the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So from the three of us, um, we really appeal to everyone um, listening to this, um, and everyone in rural and regional Western Australia and Australia yourself, um, if you can... I know there's a lot of demand, charity demands mm. on your dollar, and there's a lot of people asking. So if you are in the position where you can give and can help Ronald McDonald House, um, it would be really appreciated. Um, and it, it goes to all the funds raised, whether it be through um, one of the, the cocktail party or through the direct fundraiser we're doing through the company, they all go directly to the house. There's no admin fees or anything involved. So. Um, we'd really appreciate if um, you could help out. And if we can sponsor a room for more than two years, that would just be outstanding. Mm. So it, the, the more the better, really. Yeah, it'd be phenomenal. So, yeah, let's try and get one for four years. Four years. <laughs> and Nat, Nat, Nat wants to go for four years now, so let's see if we can do that, game. There's a, there's a challenge. There's a challenge down. for all the, all the clients. And I'm sure we can do it, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it is amazing. And, and yeah, I, I agree. Conscious that there's a lot of asking that goes on in this world but um but if if anyone's in any has any capacity to give it's it is the greatest feeling in life i think isn't it giving rather than receiving it can be a bit cliche but if you really break it down and think if you can give something be time as a volunteer or financially Mm. that's going to make a difference to someone else it, it really is the most fulfilling feeling, particularly if you're, if you're the ones that are on the eventually on the receiving end in some way, paying it forward, as they say. But thank you to to you guys for for embracing this so much from your experience, um, and you know everyone just continues to, to wish you guys all the best and Ferg and the whole family. Um, and I know you've spoken so openly about the network of friends yeah, you had definitely. around you and the meals and everything yeah. that came your way, but not everyone is so fortunate to be in those situations. Exactly. So for us to be now collectively, and I say us, as in mm. you and your business and your network of, of, of customers and clients, um, to be able to provide that, it's, it's a wonderful feeling. So thank yep. you on behalf of the house and the families. Thank you. And I think, you know what, when Dave started talking about this event, that's obviously we were in the thick of it by then and that's Mm. when I said to him oh my god we just need to lean into this because we have been so blessed with all of our friends and our network and like you just said not everyone is that blessed because you know our customers are living rurally Mm. and they're coming here and they're quite often coming on their own so it's just such a phenomenal cause yeah. Which anyway. we'd love everyone to get behind if they can. Well, thanks for coming in and joining us, Gilly. Loved it. Pleasure. Very I'll good. I learned a lot you. about podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> good on you. Thanks, gang. All right. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Thanks again for listening to Boots Off Log On. Our aim with this podcast is to give you access to the best minds in agricultural business and to help your farm business thrive. So if you have any feedback or suggestions for the podcast, including people you believe I should interview, please email bootsofflogon at agrimaster.com.au. If you like this episode, please take time to share it on social media or even better, directly with at least one friend a day. And take the time to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as it really helps us reach more farm businesses like you. As always, if you'd like to know more about AgriMaster farm business management software and services, you can find us at agrimaster.com.au. I look forward to speaking to you next time. Thank you.